As we read, we remember this is God's word. Genesis 46, starting at verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. Then God spoke to Israel in the visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob, and he said, here I am. So he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not fear to go down to Egypt, for I will make of you a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also surely bring you up again. And Joseph will put his hand on your eyes. Then Jacob arose from Beersheba and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob, their little ones and their wives in the carts which Pharaoh had sent to carry him. So they took their livestock and their goods which they had acquired in the land of Canaan and went to Egypt. Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his sons' sons and his daughters and his sons' daughters And all his descendants he brought with him to Egypt. And then skipping forward to read uh, just two verses, verses 26 and 27, which tell us all the persons who went with Jacob to Egypt, who came from his body beside Jacob's son's wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two persons. All the persons of the house of Jacob who went to Egypt were 70. And then uh, moving uh, forward to chapter 47, and we're going to read the first 12 verses. Chapter 47. Then Joseph went and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers, their flocks and their herds, and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. And indeed, they are in the land of Goshen. And he took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds, both we and also our fathers. And they said to Pharaoh, we have come to dwell in the land because your servants have no pasture for their flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh spoke to Joseph, saying, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Have your father and your brothers dwell in the best of the land. Let them dwell in the land of Goshen. And if you know any competent men among them, then make them chief herdsmen over my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father, Jacob, and set him before Pharaoh. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, how old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my pilgrimage are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days and the years of my life. And they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers in the days of their pilgrimage. So Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from before Pharaoh. And Joseph 
situated his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. Then Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with bread, according to the number in their families. Well, amen. We'll end our reading there. And we thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. We're going to come before God now and ask for his help to understand his word. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we give you thanks today for this uh, wonderful narrative in, in the book of Genesis. This explanation of, of how your people moved from one place to another. But we also know that sometimes these, these stories are, are hard for us to understand how they apply to us and to our lives. And so I pray that you would help us to see that today. That you would, would help us to, to understand and to believe what it is you're teaching us personally. And what you're teaching us as a congregation of your church. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, it is uh, Remembrance Sunday. And it is good, I think, that we have this day in our calendars. We need reminders, don't we? We need to be reminded to remember so that we don't forget. It's all too easy to forget things. And so we need poppies. We need Remembrance Day to help us not to forget. I have a reminder on my phone which is set for every Sunday evening to remind me to put the bins out. I need that on my phone because... I forget to put the bins out. I do it every week. It needs to happen every week. And yet, I'm still sitting there on a Sunday evening when the reminder pings on my phone and I think I forgot to put the bins out. I'm even so forgetful that I can't remember which bins were out last week. And so whenever I go to put the bin out, I have to check around Jarrett's Pass to see whether it's the blue bin or the black bin that's going out this week. We need reminders because it is easy to forget. We should be thankful today that God is not like that. God is not like that. Our God remembers. Our God remembers his promises and he keeps his promises. He will not and he does not forget the promises that he makes to his people. What do we hear from the Shorter Catechism? The decrees of God are his eternal purposes, according to the counsel of his will, where for his own glory he has ordered and settled everything that happens. And so the things which God promises are things which he has planned and prepared. God's promises are things that, that he has foreordained. That's what the, the older version of the Shorter Catechism says. And because God has foreordained them, they will come to pass. Our passage from God's word today, or these two chapters, 
are a wonderful example of how God keeps his promises in his time and in his ways. We might forget things, but God does not forget things. God does not forget his people and he does not forget his promises. I want to give us a few reminders today because I know that I need them. I'm assuming that you might need them as well. Back in Genesis chapter 15, way, way back in the, the book of Genesis, God made a, a covenant with Abraham. You'll remember that. And there was a ceremony that God showed or, or gave to Abraham where Abraham had to, had to cut animals and set the two sides of the animals facing one another. And this was God's confirmation to Abraham of his promise, his covenant promises. I wonder if you remember God promised Abraham three things. He promised Abraham that, they, that he would make him into a people, that they would live in God's place, and that God's presence would go with them. God's people in God's place with God's presence. It's a few years since we looked at that. I wonder if you remember that. But what, as a part of that ceremony that God gave to demonstrate the, the gospel to Abraham, God promised something very specific to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13, God said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs. And will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. God is making a promise to Abraham that it doesn't sound like a great promise, but it's certain, God says, no for certain that this will come to pass. And we see the beginning of it now with the family of Jacob in Genesis 46 and 47. Hundreds of years later, we're finally seeing God's promise to Abraham begin to come to pass in the family of Jacob. God is taking them to a land where they will be strangers, a land that is not their own, the land of Egypt, and they will be sojourners there or strangers in a foreign land. And so from our passage today, we learn more than just God keeps his promises. That's a good thing. It's, it's good for us to know and I, I hope it comes as no surprise to us. But we learn something about God's promises. We learn that God's promises are gospel promises which are for our good and for the good of others. I want to split that into two parts and first of all think about how God's promises our gospel promises for our good. We've sort of followed this story of Jacob for a long time. We've seen him go through many ups and many downs. And through this experience, we've learned that God has been constantly at work in the life of Jacob. Now, we haven't heard a lot about Jacob recently. We've been hearing more about Joseph but we've been stuck with this story of Jacob and we're still in it. 
I don't know if you remember before we, we said this about this time last year, maybe last September, that Abraham is a picture to us of justification. That, that moment when, when God first makes his promise to a person and, and declares a person righteous. That's what Abraham is a picture of. But Jacob is more a picture of sanctification. That, that process of, of God smoothing a person out over the course of their Christian life. Making them more like Jesus. And through all of the ups and the downs in his life, Jacob is being smoothed out by God. He's now a 130-year-old man. And he has suffered for the last 20 or so years, thinking that he's lost his son, Joseph. He's an old and decrepit man. He's a sad case, really. He, he can't walk for himself. He needs to be carried down to Egypt. He's old and he's frail. But he's also terrified. Jacob is terrified. I want you to try and put yourself in Jacob's mind for a moment. He's been living with this loss. The loss of his son for 20 or so years. And now the rest of his sons have come to him. And they've basically said. We've been lying to you all this time. We've been telling you lies. Joseph never died. More than that, he's living. He's living in Egypt. And he's the ruler over the whole land of Egypt. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take the family down there. Wouldn't you at least be sceptical, if not fearful, of what's being told to you? I want you to imagine what it would be like to be, to be asked to move country. Would you be willing to move from the place where you and your family have always lived? Move to a new place. Moving the cars and the pets and packing up all of the children's toys. Taking your family and your children's families and all of the grandchildren. Uprooting everything. What if I said, I want you to move across the island to County Cork? Would you be scared? Would you be afraid? Of course you would. Of course you would. It's going out into the unknown. And then we pile on top of that 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 for Jacob, Egypt is a scary place. Nothing good happened in Egypt. Not for his grandfather Abraham or his father Isaac. In fact, Isaac was told explicitly by God not to go down to Egypt during a time of famine. And so Jacob must have been in great fear. And we know this for sure because at the start of chapter 46, when they had gone as far as Beersheba, God spoke to Jacob and said, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Now, why would God say that? other than he knew Jacob was afraid. Friends, I think this gives us hope. It gives us hope that that even though Jacob is a decrepit, 130-year-old bundle of nerves and fear and pain, 
God is not finished with him. God is not done with Jacob. God is still at work in his life, smoothing him out. And this speaks powerfully to us because, well, look, it might not show on our faces. And it might not always come out in our conversation. But I'm sure that there are people here today and under the surface, you're a bundle of nerves and fear. You don't know what's coming around the corner. You're, you're scared of, of what the future might hold. You're worried about your family. You're worried about your children, maybe your friends. You're worried about that, that deal that's coming up, that, that thing that you're going to have to do with work. You're just a bundle of fear and nerves. And maybe God isn't calling you across the country. Maybe he is. Maybe not. But for some other reason, you're just riddled with fear. And I want you to know today that God is not finished with you. Age, infirmity, fear, pain, sorrow, loss, none of these are a barrier to God. He is working in your life just as he was working in Jacob's life. And he's saying to you today, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. But I want you to notice that God doesn't just tell Jacob not to be afraid. Do you know like like an angry parent whenever the child is crying and the parent just shouts, stop crying. As if that's going to stop the child from crying. God doesn't do that. God does much more than say, don't be afraid. God gives Jacob reasons. He gives him reasons not to be afraid. And it's like God is is piling these reasons onto a balance. Can you picture a set of scales or, or a seesaw? And God just piles way more on the reasons not to be afraid than there are reasons to be afraid. You can see it in the first few verses of chapter 46. God reminds Jacob who he is. I am God. The God of your father. He points out that that this has always been part of his plan. It was a part of the plan and the promise made to Jacob's father and grandfather. He reminds Jacob it's in Egypt that his family will be made into a great nation. The people of God. And although they're not in God's place, he will bring them back again to the promised land. And then for Jacob personally, there is this wonderful promise. The promise that his son, the the son of his love, his favoured son, Joseph, the one he thought he'd lost, Joseph, will close his eyes in death. I don't think that I quite fully understand the the deep sentiment of that promise just yet. I'm guessing that most of the younger people, we don't really get it. But as you get older, as you draw closer to death, it must be a sweet thought that you will die in the presence of your family and that your children will be there to close your eyes when you pass. 
perhaps the greatest reason for Jacob not to fear, the, the heaviest block on that side of the scale, is what God says in verse 4. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. God is not sending them alone. God goes with Jacob and his family. God's promises are gospel promises for our good. And so friends, I want to ask you and maybe challenge you today. Do you know God's promises? Have you spent time examining God's word and learning his promises? Are you you stacking the blocks on that side of the scale? God always keeps his promises. There, There is truth in that. There is comfort in that. But it's all the more comforting whenever we know what those promises are. Those promises which are yes and amen in the Lord Jesus. Take, for example, every Sunday we we have an assurance of pardon. The assurance of pardon is is really a a summary of the gospel. It's, It's a gospel promise from God. What about over the course of each month? You commit to memorizing the assurance of pardon. That would be a good thing to do. Scripture memorization is not just for children. And that way, what are we doing? Well, we're filling our our minds and we're filling our hearts with the promises of God's word. We are stacking the balance so that when those times of fear come, we will not be afraid, but we'll stand firm on the promises of God. God's promises are gospel promises for our good. But also, God's promises are gospel promises for the good of others. When we hear the gospel, we hear the good news of God's promises, it's not just a wee keepsake. It's not just, this is between me and God, and I just hold on to it. It's something that is to be shared with other people. And we see that really clearly with what's going on with Jacob. Let me remind you the promise God made to Jacob's grandfather. In Genesis 12, whenever God first called Abraham, he he called Abraham away from his home, away from his family, away from Ur of the Chaldeans. And God made a promise to Abraham. He promised that through Abraham, all the families on earth would be blessed. God's promise was a gospel promise for the good of others. And we see it partially come to fulfilment through Jacob. In Genesis 46 and 47, Jacob goes down to Egypt as one of God's people. But not just one of them, he's he's the head of God's family on earth. And through Jacob, the Egyptians are blessed. Chapter 47, verses 7 and 10 tell us that Jacob literally blessed Pharaoh. And I think that's an unusual detail given the context. Think about who Jacob is. He's a nobody in Egypt. 
He's come down from this far land to, to dwell. He's come to be given food and lodging and comfort. And he comes to the king, the Pharaoh, the king of all Egypt. And we're told later in chapter 47, all of the land and the peoples in Egypt actually come into Pharaoh's possession. And so we would expect that the one of higher status, Pharaoh, would bless the one of lower status. The greater blesses the lesser. But that's not what happens. Jacob blesses Pharaoh. Because while Pharaoh has all of the earthly things going for him, he doesn't have the gospel. He's not the one to whom the gospel promises have been made. Jacob is the one who blesses Pharaoh because Jacob is the head of God's people on earth. God's promises are gospel promises for the good of others. Again, it's made very clear in uh, verse 25 of chapter 47. We didn't read it earlier. Joseph, on Pharaoh's behalf, buys up all the land and all the people. And the people say to Joseph in verse 25, you have saved our lives. They see Joseph as a saviour. He saved them. God's promise of bringing Jacob and his family down to Egypt is a gospel promise for the good of others. And I think that's really significant for us because we are God's people and we have the gospel. We should be blessing the world around us by sharing the gospel promises of God for the good of others. It's how it was supposed to be. You'll remember Adam and Eve were meant to fill the world and subdue it. They were meant to to bless the entire earth with God's blessing. But because of sin, Adam and Eve were not able to do what was required. Likewise, Noah and his family, they came out of the ark and they should have been a blessing to the world, but... Because of sin, because of rebellion against God, they did not bless the world as God intended. And so what we need to see then in in this family, the family of Abraham, the family of Jacob, is that God is blessing the world through his people. He makes promises to this family so that the world might be blessed. There's an interesting detail given in the the verses we read from chapter 46. It's a list in chapter 46 of of all those who came down to Egypt from Jacob's family. And as we did earlier, we have to be honest enough to say when we read a, a list of names in the Bible or see a list of names, we usually skip over it. But the detail here is really helpful. In verse 27, which we read earlier, we're told that all the persons of the house of Jacob who came down to Egypt were 70. 70 people. Now that's interesting because the other numbers that are given don't add up to 70. You have to be more of an accountant than a pure mathematician to get them to add up to 70. You have to to leave out the sons' wives and you have to leave out some other people I checked this. I was sad enough to add the numbers up. 
But the point of them adding up to 70 is, is significant. The, the reason why we're told there were 70 is significant. Because if you go all the way back, again, we, we travel back in Genesis to Genesis chapter 10. And all the nations of the earth are listed there. It's often called the table of nations. These are the nations who were there to build the tower at Babel. The nations whose language was confused and scattered. And if you count up those nations, do you know how many you get? 70. You get 70. And so what what Moses is deliberately telling us here in Genesis 46 is that God is beginning something new. This is a new nation, a new people, a new humanity. And through this family, through this nation, God will bless the world. God's promises are gospel promises for the good of others. That's what God did through the family of Jacob. But what about us today? That is what God sees as our purpose. God does not make mistakes. God plans and purposes everything that comes to pass. And so he has us here as part of the new humanity. Through rebirth into Christ. We are part of God's people here on earth. And it is our role to share God's promises, which are gospel promises, for the good and the blessing of other people. We need to share with our family and our friends and our neighbours. We need to share Jesus. We need to tell them about the, the head of God's people on earth. About the one who secures that gospel. About the one who, who makes God's promises come to pass. Fully and finally. I think if we look at the world around us, we, we see a world which is, is looking for something firm and something solid. It seems to me that people want to stake their life on truth, but they don't know what the truth is. So people look inside themselves for truth. Maybe I'll find it in here. Or, or they look to other people. They look to celebrities to to tell them what to think. They look to sports stars. But we in the church have the truth with a capital T. We have the promises of God as found in his word, the Bible. These are gospel promises and they're centered on one person. They're centered on Jesus Christ. Those promises are promises for our good and for the good of others. They're promises that keep us from fear. And they're promises that are best shared. It is good to remember today that God's promises are gospel promises, which are for our good and the good of others. Let me pray for us.